You're listening to the Manchester Vineyard Podcast. We'd love for you to join us. To discover more about who we are, where we meet, and how you can connect with us, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description. I recently um, started a, a series called Kingdom First in Matthew 6. Verse 33, it says, seek the kingdom of God above all else, live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. And within this series, I've been doing a mini series specifically focusing on relationships. What does it mean to have kingdom first relationships? And this this is a series. I'd encourage you to watch the ones that you've missed online. I think it will make more sense. They link together. This isn't a standalone moment. If you just hear this talk outside of the context of some of the others, it may not make as much sense. And um, last week, I was planning to do the talk that I'm doing today. And we had a a few dedications. There was a number of people here who wouldn't have been to anything like this before. And so I flipped it to today. Then I came to realize, actually, there's a number of visitors here today again. But I'm not flipping it. It's too late. Um, This, honestly, is never an easy week to do an intense talk. Um, This is no light topic today. There we go. I've warned you so we can get on with it. But... um, You know, I don't know if you've ever driven down the motorway and many times on the overhead gantries or just the the lights at the side, they're flashing to warn you of something that you never come across. I'm always like, slowing me down to 40, but there's nothing there. Today, there is something there. The warning has been given. We're going there. Um, You're on the motorway. There's no choice now for the next 20 or so minutes. But, you know, we, we can't talk meaningfully about Kingdom First relationships without considering the cultures, our culture's absorption in and with pornography. You know, there's a rapid advancement in technology and has allowed the sex industry to reach far beyond its natural hunting ground that it did when I was younger. Um, I would have had as a young teenager an awareness of a red light district and that there were magazines in news agents on the top shelves and magazines that were covered with a a wrapper um, so that you couldn't actually see what was on them. Even some of my most daring school friends wouldn't go anywhere near that aisle at the back of the news agents because of the shame or the stigma of being seen there. For many now, Christians or otherwise, pornography is deeply, deeply influencing our culture and our vision for relationships. I've read this last week that um, online pornography is altering our understanding of men, women and children in ways that currently we haven't even fully appreciated until our society has paid a personal cost and a social cost that is in the days ahead. The pervasive power of pornography has made it the primary sex educator among today's adolescents. Modern modern sex education is focused often on the physical risks of sex, almost completely ignoring the influence on the emotional and the spiritual well-being of people that are exposed to some of these things. And people are inundated, inundated with unrealistic images, sexual images, And um, it's dramatically altering the flirtatious dance between the sexes, between men and women. And there's there's become this common 
belief that is actually, I think, encouraged by the media that pornography primarily is a positive force. Allegedly, it can relieve stress, it can reduce pressure on marriages caused by different sexual expectations, and it can even apparently inject a sense of adventure into a couple's sex life. You know, the, the, the popular message really is that pornography is everywhere and it's good for you. It's good for your relationships, it's trendy, it's sexy, and it's fun. And the scale of it, I would say, is staggering. I'm not sure it really warrants a discussion beyond that. Many of you are aware of that. The statistics currently don't really take into account the astounding amount of pornography that's distributed in other mechanisms than those that can easily be measured among peer-to-peer -peer downloading networks, shared hard drives, chat rooms, message boards, every other form that research can no longer keep up with as we see a rapid development in online digital platforms. I would say we're often tempted to ignore the conversation about this because it lurks beneath the surface. There's a strong stigma of shame attached to pornography that means we'd only really um, see it if we're deeply involved in the confessional lives of, of others. You know, the, the sad truth I'd say is whether we see it or not, pornography has become a major issue for people even within the context of the church and the depth to which our culture approaches sexuality in, in this way has become a problem within the church, which is part of the reason why I've done the series that I've done and why I would even talk about it as frankly as I want to today, because in the reality of the kingdom of God, we're called to live by a different script. Pornography may well be an issue that we would prefer to avoid, but its broad approach and its broad reach even within the church, means that we've, we've got to address it. We've got to have a voice in this if we're going to effectively disciple people. It's changing the moral climate and people's expectations regarding sexuality, both within the church and the culture at large. And the overwhelming evidence is from a wide array of research studies is, con is confirming that consuming Pornography is reforming our expectations of what is normal, what is even our perception of what everybody else is doing. And therefore, not surprisingly, it's led to some very cynical attitudes around love and affection, marriage and family. All of that said, let me just remind you why we're doing this series. It says, seek first the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Seek first the kingdom of God and live righteously. Let me start by saying, I'm not here to condemn you. John 3:17. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. I'm, I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to cheer you on in your pursuit of freedom and restoration that can be found in Jesus. And I'm here to encourage you to seek first the kingdom first lifestyle. For those that find themselves already this morning thinking, do you know this, this has got nothing to do with me, this is my week off from, from the talk. I, I'm not sure I'd want to categorise this that tightly and leave you thinking that. For those that would say this is a male thing, 
it isn't. You know, for some would say this isn't a challenge in the church, and if it is, it's just a male thing. It isn't, and it isn't. I'd also say that surrounding us in our culture, regardless of any of that, we, we need to be equipped with a voice, and we need to have wisdom. In many ways, the Internet's pornography, the power of it lies in its invisibility, rather than presenting itself as an obvious problem. It's more like a hidden cancer that spreads quite silently through each organ until we discover that the body is completely riddled with it. The church has tended to, at times, I'm speaking very broadly, adopt a, you know, don't ask, don't tell kind of approach to, to this sensitive area. I think our lack of attentiveness or our voice into this doesn't stop the cancer spreading. Instead, it allows more and more under our care to, to fall into the cycle of pornography, the shame, the addiction, and the despair. The Christian vision of personhood sees each of us as a whole, our mind, our body, our spirit. Sexual intimacy involves the complex and all-encompassing interweaving of, of, of two selves through the artful, passionate, delicate, and exclusive communication. In biblical terms, pornography's vision of sexuality is a corruption of that image, and it becomes quite easily an idol. It offers us a bread that can never satisfy and yet increases our hunger as it malnourishes us in the process. The hope of the gospel is that it invites us out of hiding. Not to expose us, not to parade us in front of everyone in shame and pain, but to heal us and heal us at our root and to root us within real, genuine community. The gospel ushers into a true culture of authenticity. I think Christianity takes seriously suffering. You know, it treats it as an important, inevitable, and even necessary part at times of our spiritual and our moral development. Our, our faith, as exemplified on the cross, begins in suffering, and yet that sacrifice ends in joy. There's, there's nothing new about people seeking degrading sexual experiences. The problem is that it's becoming increasingly acceptable and even mainstream because our society is lacking a moral framework within which these desires can be even identified as being deviant. In, in, the model, sorry, in the modern moral void, it's kind of like you can have whatever you desire in any way that you desire it. And as we look today, I just want to read a little bit of Colossians 3. We don't have time to delve into the whole passage, but I want to read the whole thing because I believe even speaking it out, there's a truth in it that can still us this morning. Then we're just going to pick out a few brief things that we can from the passage. Um, I believe, I might be wrong, I think I looked briefly at this passage when we looked at the, the fruits of the Spirit not that long ago, but there's some gold in here today, particularly as we look at, at this passage. So let me just read it to us. If you don't have your Bible, hopefully it will come up on the screen as well. 
Colossians 3 says this, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honour at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you have died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. Gosh, I love, I love that. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. So put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshipping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. But now it is time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behaviours, slanders and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have been stripped of your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive one and anyone who offends you. Gosh, we could spend the morning just in that verse. Make allowance for each other's faults. There's some power in reflecting on that. Make allowance for each other's faults and give, forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love which binds us together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. I just want to pick out a few things from that passage, a, a few key words that I hope will help us reflect on this. And they don't naturally sit together. They don't have a little tidy acronym, but it's going to be set, put, must, and with. That's dead easy, isn't it? But um, firstly, the, the passage says set. Set your sights on the realities of heaven. You know, a few weeks ago, a number of people got baptised. And um, 2 Corinthians 5 says this, Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life has gone. The new life has begun. It's, it's a wonderful celebration of, of that in baptism. When we decide to follow Jesus, we are brand new people on the inside. Baptism is really an outward sign of that inward change. When we follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit gives us new life. We're not, we're not the same anymore. We're not reformed, rehabilitated, re-educated we're recreated. We're new creations. It's not merely a turning of a, of a new leaf. It's the beginning of a new life. Verse 1, since you've been raised to life, raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities 
of heaven. Set your sights on the realities of heaven. We're not rolling with culture. We're not rolling with popularist thinking. We're not conforming to the pattern of the world, the thinking and the behaviors of the world. We're setting our sights on the realities of heaven. Within this series, we're seeking out a kingdom first mentality with regard our relationships. You have been raised to life with Christ. We allow Jesus to shape us in who we should be and who we could be. Setting our sights on the realities of heaven means striving to put heaven's priorities into daily practice. Letting heaven fill our thoughts means concentrating on the eternal rather than the temporary. 2 Corinthians 10.5, we destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. I read that in the NLT version, which is the version I read. I'm not in the habit of, of jumping around, but I love how the NIV phrases that passage. It says, we take captive every thought and we make it obedient to Christ. We take captive our thoughts. We don't let them rule us. We take them captive. We put them in prison. You know, we put parameters around them. We don't just give them free reign and free rule over us. Then, then what do we do? We make them obedient to Christ. It, it doesn't say, hey, do, do you know what? Your, your thoughts will just get with the program. They're just going to fall in line. You, you have to make them obedient to Christ. You have to force them to be obedient. It's not just, oh, I won't think that thought, what thought that thought, I've just, I've just fought it again. You know, you've got to make that thought obedient because you've been raised to Christ. You've been raised to new life with him. Therefore, set your sights on the realities of heaven. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We need to renew our minds. We need to renew them to set them on the realities of heaven. Even our thoughts must be submitted to him as we live for him. Spirit-empowered people take captive, they capture every thought and they yield it to Christ. When exposed to ideas or to opportunities that might lead to desires and ill-thought-through steps, you have a choice you have a choice. You can recognize the danger and turn away, or you can allow those unhelpful thoughts to take you captive. You capture your fantasies and your desires when you honestly admit them to Jesus and allow him to redirect your thinking, asking God to give you the spirit of discernment to keep your thoughts focused on truth. You know, I genuinely believe in the, expuls- the expulsive power of a greater affection. When, when the kingdom of God is first and foremost in our lives, the kingdom drives out wrong desires. But there's a war going on. The, the purpose of the church is not to stop people looking at porn. The purpose of the church is to encourage you and to see you live a radically kingdom orientated life but of course there are certain areas that occasionally need a specific focus because culture trips us up and it interrupts our kingdom focus i want to press reset today and i want to recalibrate 
our thinking, the greater affection of Jesus and the pursuit of his kingdom will drive some of this out. Verse 2 and 3 says, think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth, for you died to this life. If the, if the first point was set, set your sights on heaven, the, the second one is put. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and even evil desires. You know, pornography is now significantly more available and more neurologically powerful and more extreme than it used to be. The, not even recent, but the fairly recent expansion of extremely high-speed internet and Wi-Fi and 4G networks, combined with also almost no online censorship and no cost for explicit content, has made multimedia online pornography an, an integral part of our mainstream culture. The three A's of internet that drive that consumption are availability, accessibility, and the ability to be anonymous. The types of pornography being consumed has, has changed in two important senses. One is its neurological power, and the second is its tendency to lean towards hardcore content. There is an increased influence of pornography. Neuroscience has stated that the, the richer the media, such as the high-definition, hyper-realistic moving images, has created a more powerful effect on the brain. That would help explain why contemporary pornography has become way more addictive in our culture than earlier forms. Online pornography also naturally drives viewers to more increasing forms of hardcore viewing. Automatic pop-ups on you know, linked adverts creating a fast-moving dynamic environment, tantalizing people in the heat of the moment to journey into in unintended and increasingly extreme areas means that layer upon layer this builds and it grows. What started as a look grows into something that is unable to satisfy unless the user needs more and more extreme fantasy to supposedly fulfill a desire. You know, this progressive dynamic means that online pornography leans towards the hardcore content, often taking people to places that originally they had no intention to set out towards. Clinicians are making the distinction between decisions that are made in a cold state and a hot state. They say that the dynamic open-ended choice in a hot state or a heightened state quickly drives users to a place that they would have rejected without question in a cold state. Most people have developed compulsive habits in this area because this progressive movement of softcore erotica has moved into increasingly extreme imagery and scenarios. You know, in this, in this way, scenes that would initially offend or horrify soon become acceptable and actually even desirable. You know, I wonder... I wonder if you found yourself in that trap and you're in far deeper than you ever realized it could go. 
we we've, with all of this, I think we could spend a fair bit of time trying to explain something scientifically, but put simply and without losing us in, in some of that neuroscience. When, when sexual arousal becomes connected with viewing pornography, the activities become strongly associated in our brains. The more we engage in that habit, the more that connection is fused in our neural circuits. The brain maps out these new exciting images at the expense of what previously had attract, attracted them. The reason I believe that people begin to feel real-life situations and scenarios less of a turn-on or an attraction it's not reality, and it's not how it was meant to be. Normal, healthy relationships have been disregarded for fantasy ones. People have found themselves wasting countless hours looking at pornography. Things that they would have once looked at and found appalling are now seeming to be quite the opposite. They find the way they looked at people then in real life been warped into the pornography fantasy that they're seeing on screen. It's said that the environment for pornography has many on-ramps, but very, very little off-ramps. It's built for speed. It's hemmed in by the constant high containment walls that make escape from it almost impossible. No wonder then that it's drawing so many people into its addictive snare. Sexual fantasy generating a destructive loop by shaping our expectations for real-life relationships, also then displacing those relationships. It's kind of no wonder that Jesus made such a point of reconnecting our sexual imagination and our practical lives when he warned that lusting after a woman is the equivalent to sleeping with her. Matthew 5.28, but I say anyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. That extreme teaching was a typical rabbinic form of moral instruction, almost meant to shock the listener, to shock the hearer. In, in other words, our imagination shapes the contours of our lives. Renew your mind. Take captive your thoughts. Is therefore a profound and a regular teaching that you can draw out from the Bible. In this passage, so put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. I'd, I'd say this, you've got to be ruthless. I think I've used this illustration before and I need you to know I've, I've never done it. I hope nobody has ever done it, and I don't actually like the image, but it kind of fits with what I'm trying to say. But I'm led to believe that if you put a frog suddenly into boiling water, it jumps out. But if you put a frog in cold water and bring it to the boil, it slowly acclimatizes to the environment. It doesn't perceive the danger, and it's cooked to its death. I don't know how they've worked that out, but don't do it. It's a horrendous illustration, but I hope, I hope you see my point. You, you've got to be ruthless. You can't let this stuff gently erode you. What starts as a flirty text or a quick look at something that you shouldn't, layer upon layer upon layer, will draw you in and boil you 
alive. Put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. What, what is it to put it to death? What is it to gouge out your eye? You know, I mentioned in previous weeks that restrict your freedoms. I'm not being legalistic. I'm trying to, I hope, help you to live wisely, aware that the enemy is seeking to kill and destroy you. I know people who don't have a personal laptop, only a work one. You're not going to look at stuff on your work laptop, and if you do, everybody is going to know about it. I know people who don't have an internet browser on their smartphone. They've restricted its use, and they've got a password that they don't know. I know people that have unfollowed everyone on Facebook so that nothing appears in their feed. They still use Facebook to interact with people, but they aren't bombarded with images of people because it doesn't help them to live well. And that's not just pornography. They found themselves comparing themselves to others, constantly bombarded by other people's lives. What is toxic in your relationship with Jesus in the cold light of day? Not in the hot state, but in the cold light of day, have a review and get ruthless with it. You know, 10 years ago, I would have said, the best advice I could give you is get rid of everything in your house that is going to aid that struggle. This is way more complicated nowadays, but you've got to be ahead of the game. You've got to be ruthless. What is leading you into these environments? Get out of them. Do you have too much time on your hands? Throw yourself at the kingdom of God. Get involved in 10,000 homes. Plan and organize ways to love and practically serve this city. Don't spend the whole of your life in the wrong place. Don't give yourself time to make the wrong choices. I did a talk recently on self-control. I'd I'd say go back and listen to it. David slept with Bathsheba because he should have been at war. He was in the wrong place. To live a kingdom-first life, we need to be in the right place, using our time in the right way. But the enemy is going to do everything he can to pull you off it, pull you back, and keep you trapped. So put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. Verse 10, put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become more like him. The more of Jesus in you, the less room there is for anything or anyone else. Set, put, and thirdly, must. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. He has chosen us to be a holy people, so we must clothe ourselves with the things of his nature. He has chosen you He's chosen you to be holy, to be pure, set apart, called out, to live differently. You know, willpower alone is not going to conquer this one. You need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and you need to be clothed with the things of God. This is really obvious to say, but you're most vulnerable when you're vulnerable. So what makes you vulnerable? You know, I've often used the acronym HALT, hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. But in what places, what times, what circumstances are you most vulnerable? Avoid them. Set yourself up to win. Honestly, we're not designed to live alone, to be alone, to get picked off by the enemy 
when we do. We're supposed to do this in community and as family. And at times that is hard. But I want to say commit to a small group. Commit to environments that disciple you and encourage you. Commit to other people. I was recently reading this story of a guy who said this. He's not following Jesus. He's actually an incredibly well-known celebrity. But he says this, I'm a self-soother. The internet, DVDs, Netflix, Twitter, all of these are moments in time throughout your day when you're able to self-soothe. We have a self-sufficiency of comfort and pleasure. By the way, pornography. You wake up in the morning, you open a thumbnail page and it leads to a Pandora's box of visuals. There have probably been days when I've seen 300 naked women before I've even got out of bed. Internet pornography has absolutely changed my generation's expectations. How does that not affect the psychology of having a relationship with somebody? It's got to. This is my problem now. Rather than meet somebody new, I'd rather go home and replay the amazing experience I've already had. What that explains is I'm, that I'm more comfortable in my imagination than I am in my human discovery. The best days of my life are when I've dreamed about a sexual encounter with somebody I've already been with. Do you know reading that broke my heart? Lust and the ease of access to it that are fueling that desire to and for lust is changing our landscape. That guy, to him, I'd say, rid yourself of these things. You know, do you, I don't know if you, do you ever have old clothes for like old jobs? I've got a few where, when, when you're painting or something like that, the sort of clothes that you, you wear to hack down a tree or, you know, knock down a wall or whatever it might be. Initially, those clothes are just a bit scruffy. But once you've got a bit of paint on them, I don't know, sometimes you kind of let them go and before you know it, a bit of paint, there's a lot of paint and some of them it looks like I've kind of cleaned the paintbrush on them. Sometimes when you get changed from them, you have a shower but you still smell of the residue of the old clothes. It's like going to a bonfire, like the smoke can just linger on your skin for days. Sometimes you've got to use something to get it off, a bit of Swarfiga or, do you ever use that Swarfiga? That's good stuff. My granddad told me, this is a major side point, he told me if you use water and sugar, it's virtually the same thing. And he's not, i, I tell you that for free. But anyway, clothe yourselves. Get, get the old clothes off, the things that seem to cling to you, and get a new set on. All the residue that lurks, all of the ways that once you've let it go, you think there's no way back, you may as well keep letting it go and you get in this repetitive cycle of being far from Jesus. Honestly, no. Get back to Jesus. Keep short accounts with Jesus. When you stray, get back. Don't let it build layer upon layer upon layer. Set, put, must. And the final thing, with. Verse 16, teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. We need wisdom. How many times in this series has the word wisdom come up? I was reading just this week that even those under the age of 12 are sending, on average, 1,146 messages a month. You know, honestly, I remember the first text message I ever sent. It was 50p to send a text. Before that, like the, the cool thing to have was a pager. You know, <laughs> maybe I'll just show my age, but they're 
staggering finding, showing young people, young people today are hyper-connected, hyper-connected. But at the same time, they spend less time in face-to-face relationships. I'm, I'm not sure that's healthy. We need genuine, real relationships in an age where I would say I'd expect my daughters to be treated with unprecedented dignity, respect and equality in the days ahead by male peers. We live amongst a generation where the sexual formation of young people has kind of been handed over to the sex industry and its dark vision of sex and relationships. That is not okay. I don't want to breed fear into us. But I guess I want to encourage us to consider wisdom and freedom. You know, within the confines of wisdom, can I, can I say something about masturbation? We're going there. We're still on the motorway. The flashing lights are well and truly out now. I've had people say to me, show me in the Bible where it says don't. You know, that, I think that comes back to the mindset I spoke about the other week with the attitude of how far is too far, what can I get away with, rather than how can I be as close to Jesus as I possibly can? How can I seek a kingdom-first relationship? I'm not going to pull out Bible passages. Wisdom, from what we've already looked at this morning, would tell us that Jesus said, gouge your eye out. Because even looking at somebody with lust is the same as committing adultery in your heart. There are some that have said some wise things on the subject. C.S. Lewis being one of them, he, he describes the ironic narrowing effect of the sexual fantasy on a man's personal identity and capacity to love. And he says this, he says, something that promises limit, limitless frontiers of sexual discovery and satisfaction leads instead to a dead-end canyon. He goes on and he says, for me, the real evil of masturbation would be that it takes an appetite which in lawful, proper use leads the individual out of himself to complete and to correct his own personality in that of another and finally in children and grandchildren and turns it back. It sends the man back into the prism of himself there to keep a harem of imagery, imaginary brides. And this harem, once admitted, works against his ever getting out and really uniting with a real woman. For the harem is always accessible, always subservient, calls for no sacrifice or adjustment, and can be endowed with erotic and psychological attractions with which no real woman can ever rival. And those shadowy brides, he is always adored, always the perfect lover. No demand is ever placed on his unselfishness, no mortification ever imposed on his vanity. In the end, they become merely the medium through which he increasingly adores himself. After all, the most, after all, almost the main work of life is to come out of ourselves, out of the little dark prism that we are all born in. You know, it's one of the core contradictions, really, of today's hypersexualized culture. In the quest for personal freedom, we've created a small, dark prison of our own choosing, is kind of what he's saying, and I think it's so true. People who look excessively 
of pornography become people who connect arousal purely with generic physical appearance and in the process lose the ability to become attracted by the particular features of a given partner. I read that a teenage boy, a teenage boy, honestly, that in itself breaks my heart, but a teenage boy explained in an interview with a national paper, he said, who needs the hassle of dating when you've got online porn? Isn't that devastating? Our culture's hypersexuality and it's made it more difficult to relate to each other as brothers and sisters within the household of the church. When every male-female relationship is burdened with a sexual overtone, it's hard to enter into the broad network of mutually nurturing relationships that are there to support us and encourage us in our own personal identity and formation. Another significant aspect of porn is that it actually shifts our sexual practices and preferences. It shapes what men and women expect of each other and, and are willing to accept as, of the rules of engagement in dating and relationships. Can I just expel a myth? You know, I've, I've had people suggest to me that, that marriage is their solution. If I just get married, this, this will deal with this little problem that I'm, I'm facing. You know, from having walked with many people through this who are married, I, I don't believe that's true. As people have sought to focus on the partner to whom they become married, their minds are flooded with scenes from their computer screens that pop up like unwanted guests. Sex and pornography become wired together in their brains. Therefore, probably the, the most ironic fallout of the pursuit of sexual gratification online is that it can render the chronic user incapable of the very sexual satisfaction that they're actually craving in the first place. The real tragedy, therefore, for marriages is that porn not only hurts a relationship, but it changes the individual's sexual character and that his or her fundamental ability and capability to enter into and sustain intimacy and love is harmed and tarnished. The most powerful deception of cyberporn is its promise to fulfill desire while actually ultimately killing desire. The trend isn't just harming a marriage, it's destroying them. Let me kind of finish just by sharing a few thoughts. The first one is, honestly, get ruthless. Get ruthless with it. Seek the kingdom of God. Don't sit on the edge of this thing. Christ is church's cause. Grab hold of it all with both hands. Don't sit on the edge. Get into accountable relationships. I'd say that regardless of today's topic. Get into accountable relationships. Who is it that will shape you, mould you, stand alongside you, cheer you on and speak into your life where there, there are things that are amiss? Get into community with other followers of Jesus who are passionately pursuing them. We'd often try and build that environment around a small group. The saviour we need is Jesus. Yeah, absolutely, we are discipled alongside others, but others are not the saviour. 
Jesus is the Saviour. We always try and make space. Every time we meet like this for people to respond to the Holy Spirit, we'd, we'd call those times ministry times. Today, I think, is no different. But let me just make ministry a little bit easier. What I'm not going to do, you'll be glad, is I'm not going to invite forward everybody who has ever struggled with something that they've looked at. I'm not going to invite everybody forward who has ever seen or felt gripped by pornography. That Honestly, that's not going to get us anywhere. That's just going to wrap you up in guilt and shame because you would think everyone else in the room is judging you, condemning you, or looking at you. What I would say is get into accountable relationships. There may well be a number of people in this room that will help you, that will know you, that will love you, that will stand alongside you. Honestly, don't don't shy away from that. I think that's the trapping of the enemy. But for the sake of this morning, can I make an invitation that I think would actually apply to all of us? Can I invite you into more? Can I invite you into more of the holiness of God? Can I invite you to be somebody that is clothed with power from on high? To be somebody that sets their sights and their vision on the reality of heaven? I want to pray this morning that you would have power to live a kingdom first life in every area of your relationships, to be set apart and to live in holiness and purity in every dynamic in which you live. In fact, why don't we do that? Can we stand together? Thanks for listening. To find out more, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description. Thank you.